Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed. You can catch us online at sknr.net. You can catch my weekly radio segments that are simulcast on the site or at kisw.com, which is the BJ Shea's Geek Nation, part of the BJ and MIGS Morning Experience. We have our quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed, the magazine, and, of course, we have the eight newspapers in the Pinal Central, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed. You can check us out there, movies, games, television, pop culture, entertainment, hardware, travel, and more. We have a very special guest today. We have Mike J. from Running With Scissors, and he's going to talk to us about the latest game in the Postal franchise, Postal 4 No Regrets, which is currently on Early Access and Steam. I've uh, played through the first day and such, so we're going to get a little more information. So uh, why don't you go ahead and give us a bit of an introduction and tell us where things are right now, please. Uh, thanks, Gareth. <clears throat> yeah, my name is Mike. I've been with Running With Scissors for almost 20 years now. I've made just about every Postal game except Postal 1. And uh, last year in October, we dropped Postal 4 No Regrets on Steam with no advanced knowledge. One day we just announced it and put it out in early access, so it was kind of a big surprise to everybody. Uh, we were a little nervous about how it would do, and it's done uh, extremely well, well enough that we've expanded the team. We've actually about doubled in size, and uh, you know we have almost 30 guys now working on this game, which is pretty crazy for us as a tiny indie developer that's been around and kind of kicking the can down the road for a while making this uh, this piece of crap so we're still here and uh, that is really interesting too because i know we don't need to waste a lot of time on this but i know you and vince have talked to me about all the problems that happened with the last <laughs> uh, version of the game and so yeah. it's really nice to see where things are going with this one um so why don't you please go ahead and tell us a little bit about where things are in the production uh where you're hoping to go next and various things that you are allowed to talk about now in terms of what those who are playing in early access um, can look forward to. Sure. I mean, uh, <clears throat> we put the game out in October in what we were calling a very janky alpha state. I mean, we were, like I said, we were not exactly uh, putting out a, a very high-quality product at the time. It was, a, it was a state of the game that most people don't ever see. And we were quite nervous about what the reaction would be, and it was it was extremely positive, which was humbling. But we had a lot of work to do just to get it into a better state for people to play before we could uh, actually take the game, you know, forward. Um, the way our games work over the last few years is we make a, a week in the life of the postal dude, and we released Postal Four with just a very very broken version of Monday, the first day in the week, and. We spent a lot of time getting that working uh, in a, in a significant, uh, significantly farther state. And, yeah, I mean, it's been about 10 months since we released, so it seems like a long time for us to get Tuesday out. But uh, we had a lot to do before we could even work on Tuesday, not to mention expanding the team, which, you know, you can't snap your fingers and hire great employees. We had to search far and wide for postal fans that have, uh, have uh, the chops to do it. And we found a lot of those guys now. So... We're getting ready to launch Tuesday here in, I don't know, I'd say a few weeks, uh, and then uh, everybody will be able to play it. Yeah, I, I definitely remember the early uh, versions of the game that you have patched considerably since that time, because I remember uh, tipping my scooter and falling through the uh, half in and half out of the sidewalk. Which well, I can't promise that still doesn't happen, but it's probably a little better now. But see, that was part of the fun. I just got off the scooter and, you know... Uh, grabbed a gun and just kept going i decided to take my frustrations out on the local diner just down the road from the hotel and yeah we uh, force was not happy with me but you know in in early access we have found that sometimes when you fix a stupid bug that the, the community gets a little mad they like some of that jank and we've had to actually put some bugs back in because of the reaction which is pretty cool uh and then you added the bird update which was hysterical the bird flew yeah, yeah, that's right. We get that—that's one of the cool things we can do with early access is we can keep some things a little bit more timely. And not everybody loves that because the game's supposed to last forever. But in my opinion, like when you're actually commenting on you know major shit that's going on, you know it's almost timeless. And plus, these games are kind of supposed to be a snapshot in time anyway. I mean, Postal Two had you know a hanging Chad 
jokes, which, you know, people that pick it up for a dollar on Steam now have no idea what the hell that means, and it still makes them laugh. So <clears throat> I'm not overly worried about timely jokes you know we put in the put in the masks we put in some joe exotic jokes in there with vince erotic i mean you know just dumb shit to make people laugh we're not we're not here to 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 preach anything to anybody yeah now before we go on with the next set of questions michael or justin do you have anything that you wanted to ask well yeah and and mike thanks for uh, joining us and obviously uh, you kind of addressed some of the questions about early access but how has that been? Do you guys feel that getting that instant feedback from, from customers, from the people on Steam, from game players, does that kind of change your direction of things you were planning at all? Like, Do you take um, feedback if maybe something you hadn't considered and say, hey, maybe that's a better idea or that's something we hadn't thought about uh, integrating, but we might do that now? Uh, yeah, I mean, so there's <clears throat> two reasons why we went on early access. One, we wanted this giant community base of testers. I mean, we have a, a pretty good testing squad, but at the end of the day, you know, like five to ten guys just isn't that much testing. Um, when you're on early access and you get, you know, over a hundred thousand users playing your game, you get some real feedback, whether it's you know for good or for for bad. Um, we have taken different routes towards things because of the way people reacted to certain things. I mean. Like I said, we released a game <clears throat> with no save system. <laughs> That's how early we released the game, which was kind of fucked up. But um, obviously, that wasn't a path we weren't avoiding. You know, it was like we're going to get saves as soon as possible. But you know, you get some feedback towards other things that you were considering feature creepy, meaning like we wouldn't work on them until significantly later in the game. But we see how much response they get in their janky state, and we're like, okay, we need to fix that now versus later. And then, of course, you know, we do have the forums, the Steam forums, which is a great community, and we have our own <clears throat> Postal 4 forums, which is uh, postal4isjanky.com, if you're ever wanting to yell at us for our crap. Um, and, and and that's where we, like, let fans voice their ideas and, 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 and thoughts for the game, and we, we've taken some into the game. I mean, we even have a, a commenting system built into the game as well, which <clears throat> out the gate, we didn't expect to do as well as we did, and the system got completely hammered and broken because that many people were using the comment system <laughs> not just for ideas but because the game was so fucking broken that uh, they, they had to do that and Justin did you have something you wanted to ask uh, yeah so I uh, just wanted to thank you again for coming on and uh, I, I love the, the sense of humor you guys have um, I guess my one question would be how has it been working with the Unreal Engine 4 uh, I noticed that was the engine chosen for Postal 4 Uh do you have any behind-the-scenes kind of uh, stories about well, working with that? So, realistically, we've been using the Unreal Engine since uh, 2001. I mean, we used it for Postal 2, we used it for uh, Paradise Lost, we used it for Postal Redux. Obviously, it didn't get used for Postal 3, but that wasn't our game. So we are an Unreal developer uh, through and through. Um, we started Unreal 4 with Postal Redux, and that was really our like crash course in it. And, um, it, it's been a, a relatively good process. I mean, sometimes uh, they, you know, there are obviously bugs. I mean, they're putting out an engine, so you are at their mercy. And every now and again, like currently, there is a Windows 7 bug in the Unreal Engine that forces you to do a couple things just to get the game running. And that's there, there's nothing we can do about it. We can't fix that. So um, while it is nice and it is well done there are you are at their mercy for some things and uh the support is is pretty good it's it's mostly forum based and, and it's community based so a lot of other people well, help you interesting. so what i'm curious to know um you on the menu it mentions co-op and is that something you can talk about at this time sure um i mean we don't have it publicly available but one of our coders uh, his name's nick he was the guy behind the Postal 2 co-op that's on a uh, workshop. It's called Mixed Co-op, and it's, like, <laughs> our most beloved mod, and it's a very, very, very high-quality co-op for Postal 2. And he, like I said, he works for us now, and he got co-op actually working kind of out of the gate on this, and that doesn't mean it's great, but it is working. Um, it, it's going to be in there eventually, but it's definitely not uh, going to come in before the five days are in there. So. Oh, perfect. Now, the other thing I was curious about is to say the series has been controversial would be a bit of an understatement. 
at this point in time uh, in today's political climate, do you find it will be, do you think it'll be something that people will focus on or is it basically kind of, uh, well, okay, it's there, but let's move on and let's not single this one out and let's move on to other things or if I um, heard anything like that already? Quite frankly, I, you know, we, we have had a, a reputation for a long time, but our reputation really kind of came out of a, uh, I don't know, I guess an early industry um, absence of products like ours. I mean, that's not to say Postal 2 wasn't controversial, and we haven't been able to shake that controversy for a long time, but, you know, where we were a giant fish in a small pond in 97, we are now a small fish in a giant pond now. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to get brought up here and there for various political topics, but I think we've steered clear of that pretty pretty well uh, for a while now. I mean, you know, video games still get blamed for things, but I think it's maybe a little less common nowadays, not to mention there's a lot bigger things going on on a minutely basis, so I'm not sure anybody uh, hyper-focuses on anything. I mean, you, you really haven't even heard GTA being talked about in the news or, or any of these other hyper-violent games. I mean, when we were included in the, the lawsuit that went to the Supreme Court uh, a little over 10 years ago, you know, that was, it was cool for us because we like to be discussed in the media for good or for bad, but um, it, the, the industry was defending us. They were using us as an exhibit to show that, you know, this is just humor. This is just, you know, pixels and, uh, you know, a couple of Supreme Court justices had to play our game and that's you know that's our that's our claim to fame to this day but we haven't heard much and we're not banned here we're not, i mean i guess you could say we've been blacklisted in the past and yeah the game's still not on console which is not part not for any particular reason then a the older games couldn't be on console and the newest game that could which was postal redux just didn't sell well enough for us to do the port so uh we're gonna have some console stuff here in, in the near future and I don't know. I just, I guess I don't see censorship being on display here as it is in other places around the world. I mean, yes, all of our old games are still banned in Germany. They're still banned in New Zealand. Uh, we still have issues, and I, but I, I just don't see it as, as front facing anymore. I remember when was it was it Postal Two when you were finally able to sell that digitally? There was like a big. Uh rush from all these countries where it was banned back in the days of the physical copies and you started to see people from all of these other countries downloading it which shows the demand is still there yeah I mean when we got on Steam we got posted to on Steam in 2012 so that's 10 years after it came out um, Germany quickly became one of our top countries that we were selling in and it didn't take very long I think it was two and a half years that the German government or somebody in the German government notified Steam that here's this list of games that we banned back in 2003. You need to remove them from Steam. So it was like Us and Vampire Bloodlines. and uh, There was like a list of games that, that Germany just flat out indexed in 2003. And despite the fact that it was you know over 10 years later, uh, Valve just said, okay, no problem, yeah. Because Valve doesn't really do much unless they get threatened by the government so they they took us down in germany and to to show you how well we did in germany in that very short period of time to this day i mean uh, we're talking six years after it was removed or give or take maybe five years it's still in our top five countries that have sold since we've launched on steam i mean germany is just one of those places where postal does really well and I can't tell you what's going on, but Postal 4 is still on sale in Germany, and it's obviously one of our top countries, top three. So that's good. You know, I, it's quite possible that you, you, let's you know go back to Uba making the movie. His films are extremely popular in Germany because he is German, and I'm sure there is some trickle down effect from that. Yeah, but also well, we all I know controversy sells. I think it was actually the other way around. Uva was uh, tipped off to make this because of our German community. Because we did, back in the day before Steam, 
we did have European distributors that were selling games into Germany, and Germany always was one of the top European countries. Um, obviously, it's not uh, Eastern European size like Russia. Russia's always been one of our top countries, period. But uh, Germany is definitely um, one of the focus countries that we'd like to uh, stay for sale in for the foreseeable future. Germany, China, Russia, and the United States. Which, belie- which leads me to my uh, final question that I had on this. Is there a reason that you have kept, I mean, I obviously I know you're Arizona-based. Has there been a, any thought to taking the postal to outside of the Southwest, outside of the Arizona settings, and take them around the world? Yeah, we've talked about it in the past, and, and Postal 4 wasn't always going to be in Arizona. Um, but what I think... The, the final conversation ended up being is that there just isn't a lot of games that use this area at all. So while someone might say peripherally that, oh, Postal 4 looks just like Postal 2, yeah, I mean, that's not, our goal was not to uh, completely change the, the location. It was meant to sort of keep it as an homage to the last game. I mean, quite frankly, Postal 4 started as a uh, uh, HD remake of Postal 2. It was originally called Postal 2x2, and we, we just decided, like, this is way too much time and effort to spend on, uh, on an HD remake. We, we might as well just make it Postal 4. And uh, so that's kind of the, like, uh, overarching reason why it's still in Arizona, but at the same time, like I said, there just isn't a lot of big games that are in this area. And yeah, I mean, as a company, we are based out of Tucson. That doesn't mean a lot, because by Tucson, I mean myself, Vince, and our art director, but the rest of the team is all over the world. So we're not we're not an Arizona developer by any real metric. We're an online developer. Um, so technically, we could put them anywhere, but you know, there's a lot of games in big cities, and we kind of just like to keep it where we are. Well, that is fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, Mike. I'm um, looking forward to seeing what Tuesday and the rest of the week holds for it. And, of course, as you said, people can get on board now through Steam and uh, play the early access version and uh, help support the future development of the game, which I definitely think is well worth it. Correct. By the way, it's also for sale on GOG, just so everybody oh, knows. thank you. Good to know. Yes. Thank you for having me on, guys. Oh, anytime. Take care now. You too. Bye. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. But yes, gentlemen, definitely uh, a lot of fun uh, playing the game, and I think it's it's well worth it because I you know I didn't want to drag it through the mud, but they went through quite an ordeal with Postal Three. Essentially, the um, situation got completely out of control. The you know people that were hired to create the game did not produce the game that was supposed to happen. It you know ended up being pulled off. Uh, sale and stuff like that and so it's it's nice to see that they've rebounded and they decided to go back to the postal universe and i'm very curious to see um what they'll do I, as i mentioned i have gameplay video up and stuff i've completed uh day one in the various um tasks that were out there and so i'm anxiously awaiting moving on to the next one so uh next topic we have a few things i wanted to just mention uh new releases and that sort of thing before we get on to the topic. Now, the first one is a Blu-ray that arrived, Blu-ray digital setup from uh, HBO on Warner Brothers Home Video. This is one of those that had kind of slipped through the cracks on me, and I had not had a chance to see this. But it is based on a Stephen King novel called The Outsider, and it stars Jason Bateman and Ben Mendelsohn. So right there you have a fantastic um, combination. And it's about a uh, murder of an 11-year-old boy, and Jason Bateman's character, who's a high school teacher, is uh, essentially linked to the murder. However, Ben Mendelsohn plays a detective who realizes, no, this is not uh, as cut and dry as it seems, and it leads him into a much bigger um, situation. So it has uh, a lot of making-up featurettes behind the scenes. It's got all the episodes, and it is available Uh, from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment, so you do want to definitely check that out. And another product, and this one is kind of leading into um, 
where we kind of wish we were going to be using it next week, but that's another story, is Acosa has put out the Brave 7LE digital camera. So we're just getting ready to start the trials. This is the enhanced version. If you remember, we did the Brave 6 Plus a couple months back. The 7LE has the high-definition audio, video, highly portable, and we're going to be putting it through the tech trials soon, but I just wanted to uh, make you aware of that. There is also a brand new Dungeons and Dragons book in the works that we're definitely very excited about doing reviews on, and that is The Mythic Odysseys of Theros. So if you like your Greek legends and mythology and you like your Dungeons and Dragons, that is definitely one to play out. And the final thing that I had before we move on to our next big topic is a movie. This one came out in um, Britain, and it is making its way to the United States, and it's called Invasion Earth. Now, for those of you that like a very low budget, they made the whole thing for about $250,000, no stars of any uh, significance Uh, film, it's kind of an interesting twist because you think it's going to be this standard alien invasion film because you get the, at the beginning, oh, oh, they discover them, they're going to be here in three months. And then it moves to a bunch of people who are going through a drug therapy program to avoid prison time set in a northern part of the British Isles. Now, I'm watching it and you keep going on and on and I'm going, okay, when are the aliens going to show up? When are the aliens going to show up? And they show up toward the end, but it, of course, is done in kind of a way that you don't expect. There's not the gigantic wave after wave of aliens and all of this. There's a lot of things left unanswered. And so it's kind of one of those things that you could pick apart beyond belief if you wanted to. I could see Rift Tracks, Mystery Science Theater going to town on something like this. But if you're looking, but at least they try to do something different with the genre and you'll find some entertainment in it if you're a fan of indie horror. So you do want to check that out. And, uh, guys, next week we have Comic-Con at home, and we're going to go into that, some of the panels, not to miss the things that you definitely want to see. We've discussed how in the past uh, there weren't a lot of movie announcements, and uh, as I did on the radio segment, We attributed that largely to not knowing when the release dates are. Um, It kind of doesn't make sense to come out, so hence Snow Kong versus Godzilla, so on and so forth. But then, after the schedule had been announced, uh, it was announced that the New Mutants was going to be holding a panel. So, Justin, start us off. What do you make of this late addition to the uh, schedule? Uh, it's definitely interesting. Uh, it just kind of goes to show that, um, you know, anything can really happen. Uh, we were talking last week that, you know, all the reasons why uh, we weren't going to be seeing any movies at Comic-Con this year. Uh, but you never know. Uh, some late editions might still happen, I- I- I'm guessing, just because, you know, I think all these companies are kind of treating treating this totally differently uh, for each case. And with the new mutants, uh, I think we had talked about in the past, like the speculation of it being released on streaming services. Um, and I, I think, you know, if a movie is going to be released on streaming services, it does open them up a little bit more uh, to, you know, those kind of concrete uh, scheduling for uh, for their marketing. Um, like I pointed out last week, it this all has to be timed pretty uh, specifically. So they don't want to start, you know, showing trailers and releasing marketing material if they're going to end up uh, delaying the the end release by a significant uh, amount of time. So, um, you know, if a movie is likely to release on streaming services, whatever they are, and to be sure, I'm not certain that The New Mutants is going to be released on streaming services. You might be able to correct me if you know uh, other details, but I think the speculation was that it was. Um, I think even way before COVID, I think there was some talk as to whether they were going to release it in theaters or not. Um, I think the question really is like, if they are going to release it on streaming services, which one, just because uh, it is sort of a, um, a, a more mature uh, horror themed superhero movie. Um, I'm not sure if it's going for the R rating or not, but it definitely does not seem like the type of movie that would release on, on Disney plus, but as an aside, if they are going to release it as uh, on streaming service, 
um, you know, I, I think that sort of gives them a little bit more uh, confidence in releasing the trailers and other marketing material because they, they, they now have a schedule. Uh, for all these other movies that they really do want to release in theaters, everything's still up in the air because they don't know when exactly the theaters are going to be open. So uh, they don't want to start the, the marketing campaigns for these movies until they have, a, they have an end date. So I think that's really kind of the unique case for the New Mutants. I don't know if any other ones are going to show up, but I think it's more likely that we'll start seeing some uh, trailers for movies that will release on streaming. Um, and the ones that are in theaters, I think we're probably just going to have to continue waiting. Okay, yeah, Michael, your take, please. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of torn about this, too. Honestly, New Mutants, the more I saw the previews, the, the trailers for it, the more excited I got for it. I really liked the take that they were going for, more of the horror um, aspect of it, introducing those characters, as opposed to just doing another superhero movie. So I really liked the the idea of it. It does seem that if there is a, a push to release this on streaming, that they would um, likely announce that at SDCC. The fact that they're doing a panel, maybe yeah. that is what the purpose is going to be, is to not only hype up the movie, but also hype up the streaming service that it will be going to again whether that would be you know a, once again one of those releases where they do the purchase it on a streaming service and then it comes to streaming in you know three months from there or four months from there or whether that's a release to streaming a streaming service kind of like they did with greyhound for apple plus where it's a just release to streaming um for people to watch who own that service so maybe it's a way to hype up the service depending on where they're going to put it Maybe it's just a way to, to announce that they're going to be releasing it to streaming, but we don't know when. Uh, what we have seen in the past with SDCC, um, particularly with, with things like Veronica Mars is the last one that comes to mind, where they said, oh, yeah, it'll be coming to streaming in, X, in a certain amount, but oh, by the way, we're releasing it to streaming today. Um, depending on the movie itself, I mean, I guess there is a possibility that they could go you know, do the, the panel, discuss it, and then say, oh, by the way, it's available to stream as of right now on Hulu or Disney Plus or, or wherever they're going to push it to. So I think it's it, there's a it's very interesting that they kind of announced that last minute. Um, we might see more of these, and it might just simply be that they're holding off on some of these big announcements leading up to the week of the conference to kind of generate some excitement. A lot of people see the schedule come out, they look at it, and they kind of gloss things over until you know, the time comes out. So maybe this is just uh, something that we're going to see where they're going to start announcing more big-name um, panels up leading up to this week. So we can hope for that, too. So, yeah, I think it's interesting news, and uh, we'll I guess we'll find out here sooner, soon enough to see how uh, what those panels are going to look like. I think the big advantage, too, is that unlike the live show, um, where essentially you have to pick what you want to get into, but as we talked about, um, there's also what you can get into and space becomes an issue because if you're over in say ballroom 20 and you're trying to get to indigo or h you often have to leave a panel early if they're back to back or you have to make a decision am i just going to stay put so on and so forth with so many panels a lot of them right up against each other the plan this year is that they're going to leave as many online as they can so that if you aren't able to watch them the moment they go live, and there's been a lot of people saying, well, how is this going to work? Is there a Q&A and all of that? Most of these panels are pre-recorded, and they're going to be put up and live on the link, which is available on Comic-Con's page, at the time. So, for example, if you have a panel that's supposed to start at 2 o'clock on Friday Pacific, at 2 o'clock Friday Pacific, it will go live. You can go up there and watch it. Now, should you have a schedule conflict, which I think almost everybody is going to have, I've had some people say, oh, I want to see it, but I have to work, I have to do this, and so the advantage for them is, well, just check it out afterwards, that sort of thing. And when this was announced, it, at first, was kind of like, oh, wow, because I mean, it, it, I kind of joked that the timing couldn't have been funnier because I had just finished doing a radio segment um, where we talked about extensively about how outside of Bill and Ted face the music, the majority of the pending releases aren't going uh, near this thing. There's a lot of television, there's a lot of 
comics, special interest, publishing, uh, community stuff, so on and so forth, but not really much in the way of pending movies. And then the, no sooner did I finish recording than about 30 minutes later this comes out. And it's like, okay, great. And I do think a big chunk of that is going to be when and where are you going to see it, because that is going to be one of the number one questions. And I'm very curious if some of these panels will have the chat room uh, option going, because I know sometimes they don't want to do this because you end up with all these trolls trying to plug their, you know, whatever, and then just on there to cause trouble. But by the same token, I think it's a great way to get the community hyped, because that is one of the biggest advantages to shows like this, is getting the people who are there excited, so they go on social media, so they tell people about it, knowing that not everybody can be in somewhere at once. And I hope that it that happens. So with that in mind, I'm going to zip through some of the panels that I have already, uh, you know, circled. And then if you guys have gotten to that stage of your scheduling yet, uh, you know, let, let, uh, we'll discuss that. I'm definitely going to have a look at the 10 o'clock Star Trek panel on Thursday. I mean, we've got the card, Star Trek Discovery, and Lower Decks, the animated show that dropped the trailer recently. I'm guessing we're going to get a firm uh, release date for season three, which would be really good. So looking forward to that. Um, there's you know so much on here that I'm curious about. Marvel 616, I'm going to have a look at at 1 o'clock, and I'm not even going by my full schedule. I mean, uh, that's right up against Amazon's Utopia, and that's another one that I want to see. So that's a prime example of going to have to watch one and follow up with it. Um, the New Mutants one came in. Uh, right up against Amazon's upload, so again, another situation. And then you have a show that I really enjoyed watching. I got to see their first appearance last year, Superstore, and that's right up against The Boys, uh, Marvel HQ, Van Helsing, Mystery Science Theater, and that's just Thursday alone. And, um, you know, swinging into the Friday, uh, a lot of stuff. There's a Charlize Theron panel that I want to have a look at. There's the one on the Blade Runner animated show. And, of course, AMC's Fear the Walking Dead. Lucasfilm Publishing has something up against that, but, you know, I'll swing back to get that. And then, of course, you have uh, Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, Walking Dead World Beyond. There's a panel of musical uh, experts, which we always enjoy. And, you know, Hellstrom. And then, of course, this is going to be really cool because... A lot of times, as anybody covers it, these panels always fill up. And last year I was actually in the panel room, but I couldn't stay because I had to pop upstairs because I had a series of back-to-back -back interviews, and it wasn't a case of being able to do it. But uh, Bob's Burger, Archer, Deep Blue C3, and that just you know gets you through Friday. There's DC at home. There's The Simpsons. Uh, the Constantine reunion panel looks interesting. American Dad, Diamond Select, Family Guy, Bill and Ted, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to be doing something. And then there's Brave New World, which is on Peacock, which I uh, was going to talk about later. Stumptown, um, you know, Winona Earp, What We Do in the Shadows is going to be good. Captain Smith has his. And then, of course, you know, as you move along, you have things like Motherland, Fort Salem. Uh, next is interesting. And then you have a Goldbergs panel. Nathan Fillion's got one very curious what he's going to say so there's a lot of really interesting stuff and i'm just you know glossing some of the main ones i highlighted um so uh michael what about you what has uh, caught your attention yeah so i mean i've got haven't finalized what i'm actually going to be able to see but there's going to be plenty of interesting stuff there i'm looking forward to the new um walking dead series that they're going to be announcing the third in that the series the world beyond um you know Obviously, the original Walking Dead was amazing. Fear of the Walking Dead has some issues, I think, getting its footing, but it's kind of found that that now. There was talks about it being canceled in the, after the first season or two, um, but it, but again, those, like like most of those shows, sometimes they take a season or two to kind of get their footing. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what the new um, what the new show is going to be like and, and what to expect from there. Uh, one of the things I'm really excited to hear more about. And something we were expecting to drop on Netflix in July, but I think it's going to drop in August now, is a new Transformers um, uh, series, the animated series that's done by Rooster Teeth, um, War for Cybertron Siege. 
Uh, I'm a big um, Transformers fan, so obviously any any additional Transformer type um, shows that I get to see opportunity you know opportunity to see I'm excited for. Um, you know Keanu Reeves. We've kind of talked about how he's he's always been kind of elusive at some of these conventions, but this year they're getting him not only for Bill and Ted, but they're also getting him for the Constantine uh, 15 year um, anniversary. So I think that would be a really interesting. Um, interesting panel to see kind of see how they talk about you know Constantine and, and the work that he's done on that uh, so yeah I mean obviously Star Trek is huge um, we always see a pretty big turnout for CW shows uh, so all in all I think it's going to be you know they've, they've got a lot of interesting stuff to kind of keep people excited and, and motivated to see it and I'm, I'm really looking forward to how the, the format works you know how, how are we going to um, how are they going to do all these things with the different panels and the availability to watch them, uh, that sort of thing. You know, I've, one of the things about SDCC that may be different than other conventions is a lot of the questions or, or stuff are always typically always done by the moderators at SDCC. They're not so much like other fan, uh, like Phoenix Fan Fusion, for example, where people stand in line and they get to ask their questions. Most of the questions to the staff and, and folks, a lot of those are done by moderators. So um, it wouldn't you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they still have um, some questions that were either, you know, turned in by fans or were brought up in various forums, and then the moderators are, are asking those questions to the panel anyways, um, even though they're pre-recorded. So I think um, it'll be an interesting format. It'll be, you'll be curious to see how it does. Again, this is kind of new for everybody, um, so there's likely to be some hiccups. But I think overall, I'm glad they're still putting on a, a really big show with, you know, a lot of content. And, uh, Justin, what are you... Uh, looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with with Michael there. Um, I, I'm I'm looking forward just to see what the you know how the the new format is received. Because um, even you know when we things get back to normal, I'm not sure if uh, they can they have they'll have some takeaways as to you know for the next Comic Con next year. But I think if I had to pick one uh, particular panel or or thing that's being shown there that I'm pretty interested in it's uh Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country by HBO um you know HBO is a obviously uh, a pedigree for quality content and you know I'm uh just based on the the trailers and the teasers for this show it, it looks interesting it's kind of got like a, a horror uh vibe to it that uh you know I think might might be right up my alley so I'm kind of interested to see what they show there uh with that one um Obviously, uh, there's all the other big ones like The Walking Dead, The Fear of Wa the Walking Dead, The Vikings, and uh, a lot of other shows that um, should be pretty interesting as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because, Michael, you brought up a couple of uh, points. Um, it depends on the panel, because you are right. Most of the time, the moderators do ask questions, um, but then there's also, depending on the panel... A lot of times they take, uh, what, would you say on average, three to five questions from the general public? Yeah, I think they, that's about right, three to five. Yeah, and of course it, it depends. I mean, I've been in panels where they come out and they basically say, hey, you know, this is my spiel, and uh, uh, go ahead and ask questions, and that's what they spend the majority of the panel doing, and then there are some where they between the clips or a new episode there's not time to do more than a couple things there was the famous one last year with uh, Game of Thrones where they uh, didn't take any questions and that uh, definitely raised a few eyebrows and that sort of thing um, but you mentioned DC now that is they were at first an interesting thing to me because I looked at it and said well geez they're always a staple of Ballroom 20 why aren't they there and then of course uh, it was brought up uh, oh yeah DC's doing their own thing, Fandome, this year in August. So, uh, you know, there's that. And then, of course, I thought it was interesting because some of the game companies had indicated that they were still planning a presence because traditionally on the main floor down at the back end, you'll see some Nintendo Blizzard merchandise. You'll either see, I know pre-launch they had both Sony and Xbox, but normally you'll see Xbox there um, like Capcom, uh, occasionally Square Enix, you'll see a couple of them, and then in years past, we've seen pop-up and activations all over the place. I still have very fond memories of the Call of Duty Black Ops game, where they did two zombie escape rooms for us, uh, across down the road from the convention center. I remember playing 
aliens, colonial marines there off-site. I remember how um, Microsoft used to have like a gaming room area at one of the hotels down the way. Nintendo has uh, traditionally one of their areas at a hotel. And of course, you have various pop-ups and activations. Um, you know, I still remember one of the greatest one was for Borderland, the pre-sequel. Apparently, they did like a laser tag thing off-site at Petco Park. So that one struck me as a little odd. But then again, I also realize you're kind of at that stage where the best way to generate hype for a lot of these games is to have people come out and play them. And also, let's be honest, when you're at these shows and you play them, you don't see this at E3 so much, but you see them at PAX. That Justin will definitely remember this. They have the pre-orders, and they'll let you go out and they'll play it, and then it's like, hey, if you want, you can pre-order it now, and if you pre-order it, we'll give you this or this or that. And that's, you know, these are all things that are out of the way because all they can do now is show a trailer and say, oh, hey, we may have a demo for you to download or go ahead and preload it. So uh, interesting times. I know that there's some stuff that's planned through August because uh, we'll, we'll save this for another date, but I was looking at it and I was telling people, don't forget we still have Gamescom and the Game Developers Conference who are planning to do digital stuff. We still have Microsoft Showcase next week. There's a rumor that uh, Sony is going to do another state of play soon after that. Um, they've talked this week about how they would not spring pre-orders on people, and basically they will be told when they're coming so they have time to make sure they're where they need to be to do the pre-orders for the new system. And so, you know, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm very curious to see how the merchandising is going to be, if people are going to be able to go on and buy their items. I've had a lot of people say, how are the exclusives going to work? And I say, well, probably exactly as they work at the show. You know, you get there on preview night or the day they're being sold, and you line up and you take your chances, and it's first come, first serve until they sell out. And I'm guessing online will probably be the same thing. They'll just open it up for everybody. And, you know, people were complaining about, well, now you have millions coming at it versus several tens of thousands. It's like, well, you know, again, <laughs> nothing is guaranteed to take your chances and I'm sure if they sell enough they might have an option some of them to you know do reprints and make some more but who knows that's like you said this unique situation I'm just glad that we're getting something so rounding out the show today folks ladies uh, gentlemen uh, we had Peacock launch this week and I know tomorrow the 20th it's supposed to be available to add to the PlayStation as an app uh, there's a free version of it. This is the NBC Universal uh, streaming service. There is a premium one. I know that if you have Google, they're giving people three months of premium service, and I believe the paid one is about $5 a month. I've watched uh, only a couple of things. I've watched the new David Schwimmer comedy, which is actually not too bad. Um, and then, of course, I'm getting ready to watch Brave New World and some of the others, and then I'll... Uh, poke around and see what's available. I mean, truthfully, myself, I'm waiting for uh, being able to get it onto the TV so I don't have to uh, hold my phone up and watch it, and I can watch it with my wife and everything. Uh, Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited. I, I do know that Cox Premium customers get it for free, which is which is good. But I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. Um, but what I'm what we're starting to see now is I think what we discussed before. Where we're starting to see a uh, I don't want to say a glut, but we're starting to see every major network looking to release their own streaming service. Again, this works out um, great for people who want to pick and choose um, for you know cutting the cords and that sort of thing. I think it'll be interesting to see how many of these survive, though. I, we've kind of talked about that in the past, where certain ones get absorbed by other companies, um, certain ones just don't make enough you know interest or profit to drive um, drive them for any length of time. I like that you get the the free version, although that doesn't include all the shows, I know that the premium version does include. And for $5 a month, that's a pretty good deal um, because you do get obviously some of the you know classic movies, television series, um, that sort of stuff that comes along with it. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna. I think we're gonna see. The real question is how how much is this gonna drive folks to to look into this? Uh, one of the problems I have. With a lot of these streaming services, is they the and I realize this isn't necessarily up to the streaming service directly. Is um, the devices that they come 
pre-released on or that you're available to watch on. So if you're if you tend to watch more on say a Roku, you may not get the same show choices that you might get on an Apple TV, um, or you might get them on you know a, a Xbox and PlayStation. But some people prefer not to. They're not using their Xbox and PlayStation in in like the bedroom, for example. If they want to watch shows there, so it kind of limits where they can watch some of these shows as well. So I think getting those out to as many devices as possible is always a good plan. I know a lot of people like to watch it on their iPad and their iPhones, which is fine. But I think part of that ecosystem is also being able to deliver it to as many devices as possible. Something that I think Netflix. Hulu and Disney all have done really well is they don't care so much what device you're watching it on, whether it be a you know a Roku box or an Amazon Fire Stick or a um, Xbox or whatever. You know, as long as it's it's got that um, ecosystem where it can be easily picked up anywhere you go and can be watched with any device you have, I think that's what's going to be key for most of these streaming services. So yeah, we'll see um, how how what kind of market share they take, um, if it proves to be profitable for them or not, and, and again, seeing how that um, how that drives the industry. So yeah, I'm excited. We'll see. You know, I'm excited to see Brave New World. I'm excited to see, um, you know, the new Valsar Galactica stuff when it comes out. Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how how well this particular streaming service does when you compare it with all the others that are out there. And Justin, you'll be our final word on the topic. What do you think? Yeah, so I think um, one thing that's particularly interesting to me is, um, you know, I, I think specific streaming services for that are very focused on one company have launched and been successful, which I think is honestly kind of surprising to me because if you asked me five years ago if that model would, would be profitable, I would have said probably not because, you know, it, it seems kind of a tall order to... Um, you know, to ask for a, or it did at the time seem like a tall order to ask for like a monthly subscription, um, you know, unless there was a, a significant amount of original content. And really, when you look at a lot of these streaming services, they usually have like uh, maybe three or four original shows that are really, really big. And then the rest of the content is um, kind of like um, existing stuff that they that they owned. So in this case with Peacock, it's, you know, they have The Office, um, pretty sure they have 30 Rock, uh, some other shows that would, you know, um, garner a lot of attention. And then, of course, their original content. Um, this has obviously been pretty successful, definitely for Disney. Um, but uh, it does it does kind of get into the, the kind of model that, um, you know, as a cord cutter, a longtime cord cutter, uh, I've always kind of preferred the idea of kind of just paying for the channels that I want, and this is kind of that model. Um, I think the pricing uh, will probably shake out a little bit differently over the next several years. Um, but the other interesting aspect about this is, um, you know, as as these uh, companies kind of launch their own streaming services that are kind of like their little own islands of their own kind of exclusive content, what that sort of does to the to the long time um, streaming services like Netflix uh, and Amazon is it sort of takes away um, from that from from the Netflix model. So Netflix sort of had a uh, almost monopoly, and Netflix and Amazon um, on this space for a very long time. So all the content was there uh, on Netflix, and so you know. If you look at it from a cost standpoint, the amount of content you're getting on Netflix versus other streaming services, Netflix was obviously the one that you're going to get the most um, for your dollar. Uh, that started changing because of shows like The Office being pulled from Netflix and going over to NBC. And as these other uh, companies start pulling their old content off of Netflix and Amazon, uh, it's going to even out the the uh, the space of streaming services so really they're all going to have kind of roughly even amounts of offerings and probably roughly even uh, uh, price points so really what's going to going to come down to is which streaming services offer the shows that you want to watch um, I think the one maybe downside of that is uh, I think for most people they're only really going to pick a few of them uh, I don't think it's really super reasonable 
uh, unless you're very, very wealthy, that uh, you're going to pay for every streaming service that's out there. Uh, I think most people will probably pick uh, just a small handful, which also sort of means that like there, there, there might be shows out there uh, that you might miss out on uh, or might become a difficult decision. Like, hey, I'm a really big ba- Battlestar fan. I liked Battlestar Galactica, but uh, do I want to pay for Peacock just for that? Uh, versus, um, you know, Netflix, which has these these other shows that I like. So I think a lot of people are going to have to start making uh, making those decisions and asking those questions. But, you know, for now, you know, I think a lot of companies have shown that um, the model actually works. You know, they can really focus on very specific shows. And, you know, uh, for, for the gaps of original, uh, you know, new content, they have a library of things like The Office, which are, enormously successful uh enormously popular so a lot of people will pay for this even just for the office so um i'm curious to see how this shakes out and you know which other companies also jump into this space yep it is definitely going to be one to keep an eye on and folks remember next week we will be uh, doing a san diego comic-con wrap-up i just had a couple of really quick pieces of news one just came in uh, first off, this is older news from the last couple days, no shock, but um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, has been delayed series-wise because it's not going to hit its planned release date on Disney+. Plus. And, of course, as a trickle-down effect, WandaVision has been pushed to spring of 2021. But here is a little something to uh, close on that's uh, interesting. Uh, Apparently, China is setting a July 20th, so tomorrow reopening date for movie theaters in areas that are considered low risk. So basically, if you have a low rate of infection, low risk area, they are going to open up some theaters under the um, guidelines. And of course, we talked about those, the sanitizing, wearing the masks, spacing, that sort of thing. Well, one of the things that they've decided to implement is that no movie can be more than two hours in runtime because they want to limit the amount of time that people are in a theater. Well, this is uh, a bit of a problem because Christopher Nolan's Tenet is set to clock in at 150 minutes, two and a half hours. So right now, even if uh, the U.S. situation, world situation improves enough that Warner Brothers decides to go ahead and release the film theatrically, Uh, They would not be able to do so in China under the new guidelines. So the belief is that when they when they reopen the theaters uh, that you're going to see some recent films like Bloodshot, Doolittle, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, 1917 is set to make its debut at the end of the year, uh, end of the month, that sort of thing. So some interesting things to look forward to. And folks, I hope you have a wonderful uh, weekend. Stay safe. Have a very good week ahead. Thank you. To Mike at Running With Scissors for joining us, and uh, we will be back next week. Comic-Con wrap-up and a few other surprises. Until then, take care. Be well.